peek behind the curtain of the Softly Training Lab with the Softly Performance Podcast. The pinnacle of human performance is out there, and we intend to find it. Welcome back to another Softly Performance Podcast. Today I have a special guest on. If you follow, if you are anybody, I'm pretty sure this is everyone. Everyone is on Instagram, everyone is on Twitter. And if you follow me on Instagram, I don't have a Twitter, but you have seen me post quite a bit of uh, of, of either resharing or tweets of this individual. His name is Vernon Griffin. He is the owner, I'm sorry, co-owner and founder of Virginia High Performance. Um, where, you know, they train athletes of all walks from youth sports to college sports. And the main thing that we'll be talking about today is training the tactical athlete. Vernon is, uh, is not new to the tactical athlete world. He comes from the military. You know, he was a communicator in the military. So we, we do have things in, uh, in, in common already with that, just due to my, my background in the military, as well as being a communicator in the reconnaissance world. Um, but you know, I'm excited to have him on, you know, he, he, uh, he has really been someone who's helped me develop a, a deeper realm of thinking. And he's that person who really wants to help the individual out, you know, and if you haven't checked out any of the podcasts, I, I highly suggest you check out the be legendary podcast that's ran by Brandon Lilly. Um, and he did a really good podcast on there as well, talking not just about training, but really talking about the balance of life and really does get vulnerable in terms of you know explaining who who he is and what his outlook is on that and as you know I don't like to make the show by myself but as I've uh I've, as I've grown as a coach and doing this and getting done just running my last 100 mile race I've really had some really eye opening things in terms of of balancing life out and not putting the dragon in front of my family and putting my family first. And that's who that's who 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 Vernon is, you know, he he'll tell you right now he's very big on on focusing on priorities along with, you know, compartmentalizing his life, not just from professionalism, but also in his family life. And, you know, welcome to the show, Vernon. I, again, like I said, man, thanks for being on. I really appreciate your time today coming on and talking with us. Hey man, thanks for having me on George. It's a, it's a pleasure. I'm glad we, glad we finally connected. Yeah, I know you'll post some things on on social media, and I'll throw a little tiny like Mexican chick dancing or something funny on there. Yeah. <laughs> You know, um, but yeah, you know, it, it's funny, man. It's like, you know, I want to get to know the Vernon Griffin that that not many people know, right? We, we've seen you talk about it, you know, but what's the five W's? Like, what really made you get into the realm of coaching? Because when we look at it, and again, like you said, but pre-show, you're like, hey, I don't want to be known as the guy from the military or, or any of this, but you want to be the guy who is helping people get better, right? And you have a you have your CSCS and you have your tactical strength and, and facilitator um, you know, and all those things, and you're really making a difference locally where you're at, and especially globally, I guess, you know, so what has really, you know, sparked that fire to get you moving forward in this realm? Um, I mean, I, I think it's funny. I don't have like this cool journey that grew up reading muscle and fitness and, uh, had this great coach that dusted the chalk off my shoulders as I threw a bar on it. I, I don't, I don't have any of those cool stories. I, uh, I grew up in high school, um, I, I was scared of the weight room. I didn't work. I didn't like working out. I faked injuries in high school. I was that, I was that kid during football season that had my ankle in a bucket of ice. I faked an ankle injury so I wouldn't have to go in the weight room. And it's funny because I see those co by kids now that I went to school with and they're like, you're fucking doing what? And I'm like, yeah, and they, it's hilarious because I just, I never liked working out. I didn't, 
I mean, I, I didn't, my, my dad wasn't around. So it's not like I had this dad that was pushing me to work out. My mom didn't give a crap about and physical fitness. And back then no one cared about really exercising like they do now. And, um, I joined the military and, uh, I mean, it was a, I didn't, I lost a bunch of weight the wrong way and I felt terrible. And then literally I just started Googling, uh, or Yahooing back then, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yahoo for sure. <laughs> <laughs> or AOL. <laughs> but, uh, just looking up like what I was doing wrong and, and why things were. And then I was going to school for business and I started to go into school for exercise science, double majored and, uh, just kind of got more and more involved with it. Started working with some high school kids around where I lived in Florida, um, where I was stationed and then figured this is what I wanted to do. So I got out of the military, uh, finished up college and then uh, that's when we started VHP up. But I, I guess I don't have a traditional path, but I think it's it's kind of what's propelled me here because I don't have um, these these rules and these these things that I've just been like. Some people are so locked in, and this is what I was raised with. I went I was underneath this coach, and this is the way we did it. And I, I don't have any of that. It's it's just a whatever whatever is needed for the person. I, I'm not. I'm not a, I don't believe in anything more than another. It's whatever works in that, you know, specific situation. It's funny you say that, man, is because, you know, coming from, you know, that same, in that same code of the military, one thing I have used for myself is when I learn like methods and new ideas or, or other, other ideas that are out there, because let's be honest, every idea that is out there isn't new. It's been created before that. And we're just taking it and putting it into our life, right? That's kind of the way I look at it. And I've taken this whole approach of left and right lateral limits, right? Like we go to look at, we look at like coaching the athlete or, or however we want to approach coaching the athlete. A lot of new coaches and, and, and just even old school coaches keep themselves within this left and right lateral limit of the way they've been taught and are afraid to go and check out other shooting ranges is I guess you can say where we look at it, other shooting ranges and learn about those left and right lateral limits. Cause let's be honest, you can blend them all together. You're doing it. I'm doing it. We, we, we're trying to explain that to people. And that's kind of the, the big gist here, right? Is really understanding the misconceptions of training and t training the tactical athlete and athlete as a whole. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's the, I mean, we grow up and you want to be the 10,000 hour expert, but that's the worst thing you can do because experts are, they're experts in one thing that they think they know everything. And now everything else is irrelevant. Everything new doesn't matter. And they're just stuck in their little box of expertise. So I saw a graphic a long time ago and it was a, like a curve or like a line going trending upwards. And it was the 10,000 hour line. And it was basically, there was a line drawn. It was the 10,000 hour mark. And it, this guy was talking about it. And he basically said that right before you get there, you need to diverge because the second you go past that line, most people are so set in their ways. They're done. Wow. Like they're comfortable where they're at. They're happy where they're at. And then that's when creativity and imagination and all that stuff stops. And that curiosity of wanting to be a better coach to wanting to learn more because you're set, you're good. So when I hear it, people say like, I'm an expert or expert this, and I'm like, you're done. You're irrelevant now. <laughs> But we see that a lot nowadays, especially with world with you said it previously, like I, you, we have a similar background. Like I played college or not college. I played goalkeeping and soccer for 12 years and I had did have a mentor who helped me out with that. But I was that kid who didn't lift weights either. Um, and my path into the strength conditioning world is very untraditional. We talked about this on the phone a couple days or last week was 
I don't have my CSCS and I don't have a bachelor's in, 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 in anything just yet. I'm working towards those things, but I've been doing this for 10 years because of the curiosity that, you know, that has brought me to this space today. And, and, and I'll say this very humbly. I, I do believe that I am just as knowledgeable as someone with a degree in bachelor's and in, 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 in the strength conditioning world because of the places I've put myself. Right. And that's, that's something that it looks like you've done also. You're like, Hey, look, I need to engulf myself into A, B, C, and D so that I can go ahead and cater to every single athlete that walks through my doors at your gym. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm very fortunate. I'm around, um, some, some coaches that are, that are special. They all intern with me, Danny Foley, Tim Kelly, Hannah Day, we just brought on another guy, Aaron Burkhart. And it's a, a learning environment of where we're constantly challenging, challenging each other. And something's always new. Of course we do all the basic shit that everyone wants to tweet about and back to the basics, whatever. But, uh, you know, it's, it's well, like, it's become the term that we've coined is exploring the corners. It's, it's having fun, but at the same time, like there's a lot more out there and it's okay to do that. Like, it's not, it's not outside the box thinking we're inside the box, just like everyone else. It's just being comfortable and curious about what the body's capabilities of and not just, Oh, we've got this, um, cadaver that's been in the anatomy lab for about 30 years. And it's a 60 year old white man. I'm, I'm sure I'm pretty sure anatomy on whichever person's in front of you could be like that for sure. For the most part in a gross analysis, but when you really think about how the bodies adapt to the environments they're in and um, their job, their occupation, their genetics, things can be a little bit different and yeah. where things originate, insert, you know, the length of tenant, things can be different. And that's where the second we started thinking about that as coaches here, it's just, it's, it allows a very productive and almost, I don't want to say artistic because that means technically, I guess in today's world means we're not scientific, yeah. but we are, but it's, it's where we allow ourselves to be curious with the body. Does this work? Well, let's try this. It, it, it's, it's a, it's just, it's a fun environment to, to be in. It, it's thriving. One thing I've, uh, one thing that I've, I've really taken to toe or taken into account is this, right? And I think that's what you're doing with your coaches is, is you're not a afraid to fail when testing out new ideas or being creative in this curiosity realm, right? Like, Hey, let's go ahead and test this out. If it doesn't work, then obviously it doesn't work, but at least we know that a plus B doesn't equal D it's, it's just how it is. And now we can go ahead and readjust fire and go ahead and move forward with something different and be like, okay, cool. That didn't work exactly. But let's go ahead and take what we learned from that and add it to something different. And again, it, it, we, people will say like, oh, scientist or scientific type of research and all this stuff isn't as valuable as it should be. Well, it's on how you look at it, right? Like you're talking about, like we, we know that the cadaver that we are going to be dissecting and looking at different you know, parts of the body might not be similar with the other athlete or the other cadaver, but it's going to be what we're looking for in terms of being able to, again, explore the corners that you keep talking about, right? And creating this curiosity and creating this think tank that you have with your coaches. And, and again, it, to continue growing is to go ahead and be okay with this curiosity because it does set us up for success and failure no matter what. And it's all how we look at it, right? That's kind of the way I, I look at that in, in a realm. Yep. And, and I, and I, I agree with that. And it's, but at the same time, it's understanding the black and white. So when I, when we post videos or something like, Oh my God, that's crazy. How did you think of that? Blah, blah, blah. Well, it's, 
we understand the black and white. Like everyone wants to give, and I say this on everything, people are probably tear, tired of hearing it, but the best book that any coach should have, the first book should be a netter. You should understand anatomy and physiology. If you don't understand black and white, which is no pun intended, the text color on a fucking piece of paper. <laughs> but if you don't understand the black and white, of course you have no business in this gray area. And fortunately for me and the population that I get work with heavily in the tactical side is every single person is injured. Every single person has herniated discs, degenerative problems, uh, multiple hip surgeries, hip replacement, shoulder replacement, shoulder surgeries. So I don't deal with black and white. There's no textbook that says, hey, if I have a, um, a hip replacement and I have two bulging discs and I have a fused big toe, then these are the exercises I should do. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Everything is yeah. one injury related. And it's, hey, if this person has this one injury, this is what you can do to rehab it. Well, what if they have multiple injuries? Because when a dude takes a fall, he's not going to just hurt one thing. So now I have multiple injuries. I have no text to back it up. So I need to understand the black and white because it gives me a great starting point. And I'll always say that the best starting point is no different than in like baseball. If you ever watch a kid's softball or baseball game, a short backstop makes a hell of a good catcher. If you have a huge backstop, that catcher is going to be screwed if that pitcher doesn't have control. And that's how it goes with education and knowledge. I'm not saying that experience or education, whichever one doesn't mean more than the other, but if you have a good baseline of knowledge, then you can draw from that. You have a bigger bandwidth of knowledge to pull from to be creative and be curious off of. Because like I said, the guys that they walk through my door, they're all banged up. Yeah. So it, it, it's, so it's almost out of necessity and they want, they want to try things. So when the, the concept of, doing more things and doing different things comes up, people would be very surprised if they watched it, if they saw us coaching. It's very collaborative. Like when I'm with an athlete and we're working on the floor, I have a thought process. Hey, I'm trying to get single hip involvement. I'm trying to get internal rotation. And then I'm like, hey man, what if you do this? Do you feel it more? He's like, I don't really feel it. Okay, we'll try this. And he's like, well, if I turn my foot this way and I load diagonally in, then I'm feeling it right here, like around where my glute is. And I'm like, that's exactly that what it. I want. I was like, can you do this and get your high hamstring involvement or get your groin involved? And he's like, yeah, but if I, if I go down to a knee, I feel it more. And it's, it's a collaborative effort. So now this curiosity not only brews between me as the coach, but as the individual. So now they're instantly have this level of trust and bondage because they feel like they have uh, some sort of power in the session because they're involved. Yep. And the second you, the second you bring involvement into a session, now, now they trust you now, or I'm not saying that's the ultimate goal or that, that just is the delineating factor of trust, but it makes the session so much better. So when people see these movements on social media, it's not just us shooting the shit in lunchtime. It's us, because I can't post videos of my guys, it's us sitting there with my guys and I'm trying to get something out of this because he just had hip replacement. So now I'm trying to get something out of that glute, get something going. He doesn't, his, he hasn't felt his groin do anything in six months because of his hip replacement and he's been bed bound. And now I'm trying to get in an angle, understanding the black and white to get something out of it. And his contributions has just cultivated this movement and this environment. That's it's so productive that it's, it's infectious. Yeah, dude. It's crazy is 
that is something that, you know, I really harp on here with softly, right? Is like, I'll get, and, and I used to own my own gym and that was something that I was really, you know, I got to learn under some really good coaches, you know, especially PTs, uh, Quinn Hinnock, who runs clinical athlete. I got to intern under him for 12 weeks and got to really understand and learn the body. And one thing that he really was big on, he was and he uses brilliance in the basics or he goes back to the fundamentals and he's like, from there, we can stack on top of that and we can be as creative as if you want, you know, and we go ahead and look at some of the stuff that he's done and, and I've taken it over and created my own ideas. It is, it is the idea of, of collaborating with the athlete and being able to make that connection, right? It's something that I do to this day because of a lot of the remote programming or because of the remote connection that I have with individuals on, on softly it's it's not just hey what is your strengths and weaknesses what is this problem no what is the the context of what you're doing and why it happened so i can have a better understanding so now when we come in together and work together like you said hey have low back problems my glutes not firing i'm really tight in the hip capsule let's go ahead and play around with this position oh that doesn't work well what you know your body better than i do that's 100%. it you know you're better better than i do and you know the limit. I'm just here to go ahead and keep you within those left and right lateral limits to go ahead and explore and develop that curiosity to move you forward to perform your job, you know, because that's the problem nowadays. We look at guys, and again, we're not in wartime anymore. Let's just be honest. There's no real wartime, and some of the guys I'm sure you work with do do deployments and have some of those things going on. Yeah. But we can now really instill a better understanding of how to move and how to train the tactical athletes so that when it is time for war again, they can handle those things better than what we experienced when we were in. For sure. And it's, it's empowering them like with knowledge and showing them about their body. Because like you said, they, they know their body more than I, I can't tell them, Hey, do you feel this somewhere? Yeah. And if you, as a coach say, Hey, do you feel this in your glute? They're probably going to say, yeah, sort of, <laughs> because the reps are already over the reps are already over and they don't even remember. So they're probably just going to say, yeah, that's why it's asking questions of where do you feel it? How much do you feel it? Do you feel it irradiating anywhere around there? And it's just making them cognizant of their body, giving them ownership, because I'm only going to see a guy for a very small space of time. Yeah. He's going to be training by himself. And I don't want to train anyone for my whole life. I, I hope not. Because yeah. then, then I, the person, I think I failed. I should be able to teach you and you should be able to carry on this knowledge. And it's, the, the best example I can give is, is like an optometrist. It's, it's not saying, hey, this is what works. Do this. It's, hey, how does this feel? How does this look? Like an optometrist, can you see now? Can you see the letters now? How does this look? How does this look? And it's constant in that. And back when you said about that, uh, Quinn, it's layering movements. Yeah. It's not just making things just crazy. It's, hey, you can do a split squat. How can we layer this more? How can we layer this more? How can we layer this more? And now they understand steps. They understand progressions and regression. So now they have ownership of their body, where it feels, how to make something more difficult. Now as a coach, I win because, I mean, I guess long-term I don't win because then they're not going to, they're obviously going <laughs> to stop paying you. So if that's your goal, but you know, it's with what we do here, it's trying to educate and teach as much as possible so that I don't, you don't have to hit me up. Like, I, I want you to understand what's going on. Yeah, and that's something that I, I think a lot of coaches forget, right? When we go and look at training the tactical athlete, because I see it out here, I'm in Southern California, and I have guys reach out to me all the time. Hey, I'm training this athlete, or I'm training this guy getting ready for fire academy, or I'm doing whatever else. And, and their first thing is, how do I break them? 
How can I mentally break them down? And that is the misconception in terms of training the tactical athlete to get them ready for their job, right? Like our goal with this is to go ahead and develop sustainability, longevity, and durability so they can perform their job. And one thing here at Softly, we say every single time someone reaches out to us asking about how to burn it down, especially with our selection prep program or selection prep questions, it's like, hey, we're not training, we're not giving you selection with this program, we're training you for the rigors of selection so that you can handle it, and then from there, move forward and complete your job. Because again, we want you to be an asset, not a liability. And that is the problem a lot of guys look at is, let me just go and train this guy, and let's break him before he goes into the military, and then all of a sudden now, he is a liability to his team, and you you think you did something well, and you didn't. You just broke that individual from the start. Um, for sure. And that's the problem, right? And that's, that's where coaches are missing the mark. It's, how do I say this without sounding terrible? <laughs> but um, it's, I think there's a lot of famous people on social media that post these gut-wrenching hard workouts. And there's a lot of people that used to be in, and I, and I, and I would never step on someone's toes. If they're trying to make money and provide for their family. That's, that's good on them. Yep. But when I see the stuff with guys training and just beating the hell out of someone pre-selection or pre-basic training, just pre-whatever Whatever, yeah. it's, and then it's mental toughness. I'm like, I, I, I think it was, uh, I'm going to butcher the quote, but uh, I'm pretty sure Cal said it. And he said, um, buds does not, or it, they don't teach you mental toughness. No. They just weed out the people that are not mentally, mentally tough. tough. You doing a very hard workout does not make you mentally tough. Like if people understood that like the most mentally tough people are probably the people that grew up in the hood or yeah. grew up in very hard conditions without a parent. And I'm pretty sure one of my guys one time, they said, what well, was the greatest factor of having someone make it through whatever it was? And they said, coming from a broken home. Yep. Uh -huh. because, because that's mentally tough. You being able to push a car and just push through and grind doesn't mean shit. Because when, the, when it really comes down to it, the stuff that they're actually doing in the training is not crazy. It's just a ton and a ton and a ton and a ton. So that you're just going to be like, man, I'm not about this. But if you grew up in a home where you didn't know if dinner was going to be on the plate, that's probably not going to affect you that much because, I mean, let's, let's be real. It's, it, it's, that's what mentally tough is. Yeah. And it's beating guys down. And I mean, Jesus, it's not just, it's, it's more than just tactical. It's like high school sports as yeah. well. It, it's just beating the hell out of guys and be like, oh, well, if they can handle this, then they'll be ready for the season. No, that's not what it's about. It's about making some, someone should go into selection no different than an NBA player going into the first game of the season feeling amazing. They should feel healthy. They should feel resilient. They should feel durable. They should feel, they should just feel great. They should feel like uh, someone, I saw someone put out, I'm not training Lamborghinis. I'm training like Jeeps. I don't like Jeeps. I got a forerunner, so I'm training forerunners. <laughs> I want durable people that can ride over rocks. They can, they can take a dip. They can, they can fall. They can take a fall and get back up. And if you beat the hell out of them and you fry their nervous system, that ain't coming back. No. And there's, there's a lot of studies that have, that have come out recently about how actually long can the body, one of my friends sent it to me, 
and I don't, I don't know enough. I haven't memorized it enough to say it, but it's um, basically they're just looking at how long can someone do high intensity training, which is what most of these kids and guys do because that's what they associate with buds or selection or basic training is, Oh, it's so high intensity. I mean, it's really not, it's just very long and that's, that's, it's not high intensity. It's nope. just long. And, uh, they're doing all these high intensity stuff and they're peaking, like they're feeling great. Their fats dropping, their body composition's changing and it only lasts for so long and their bodies crash. Boom. So they're going into this peak position. Like, man, I feel like I'm, I'm ripped. I'm feeling great. And then six weeks later they crash. Well, most training and selection lasts a lot longer than that. And they don't make it through. Like, what are you preparing them for? They should, you know, nutritionally, they sh that should be involved. Um, you should go in, not at your peak. Like you should still be on the up climb of your mountain. When you go into something like that, I don't want my, you know, an NFL guy coming in and then he has OTAs in three weeks or camp, whatever reporting. And that's his peak. Then I, then I did a shitty job. Yeah. Like he be on the up climb so that he's peaking throughout the season. And then we're just trying to, you know, get into the low or whatever, but I'm trying to just keep him there. And you're trying to peak these people before they even get to the show. It's, I don't, I don't understand, but I do understand it because it's flashy and so-and-so posts a video of doing, you know, this crazy workout or whatnot, or it's, it's when you see an online program, it's as a, as a human being, we look at it and go, Oh, that's easy. That's not going to do much for me. But then I look at this one next to it and it's got tire slams, rope slams, box jumps, this and that. I'm like, Oh, this is what I need to do. This is going to get me right. Maybe, maybe, but it's thinking long term. It's yeah. it's not thinking just short shortcoming right out the gate. And this brings me to this, dude, because you nailed on the head, right? Selection training for this thing, and in just life, it's a long fucking thing. It's very long, right? And when I go ahead, and this is where, like, when we talk pre-show, you're like, dude, you run hundred miles. Like, yeah, I've I've been I've been fortunate to put myself in multiple different areas. And one thing ultra endurance has taught me is understanding that it's a long game. And I already understood that in the past, but really understanding what the aerobic system can do for the individual, not just in training but life, right? And and I've been trying to find the words to really, you know, tell athletes, hey, look, in training your aerobic system doesn't look flashy. It fucking sucks and it's boring. I mean, ever since I've gotten into this whole, you know, endurance endurance the past two and a half years, it's really changed the way my programming looks, right? I, it's, it, it's, it's not the fact that it's high intensity, but it's very slow and methodical. Hey, when we go and do certain things, it's to develop your aerobic system so that you can handle what we are gonna be coming up to, and the, and the, the, the one-liner I'm gonna use, we increase our aerobic capacity, we have learned how to balance the CNS. That is it, right? We, we increase that, we can manage stress long-term, so when I go in and take guys who are getting ready for, you know, BUDS, Recon School, MARSOC, any of those things, even just the fire department, police department, I'm giving them low aerobic training, and they're like, why am I doing this? And all of a sudden, six, seven weeks, eight weeks later, they're like, oh my God, I feel 100%. I'm able to perform the way I want. When I do give them those dashing, those, those uh, touches and high-intensity work, they're able to perform when they need to, and then they're able to recover from them right away. You know, one thing, I, I and, and this is something, you know, I would like to hear your mind on, your, your thoughts on, you know, especially working with those guys. It's 
it's kind of like, what is it you teach the athlete to really slow them down to take an approach? Because I know I utilize a lot of aerobic system training, um, really low movement work and, and explaining and bridging the gap and making it you know, fun for athletes because that's the problem, right? When we go ahead and look at it, when the athlete looks at those two programs and it's like, well, that looks easy. Well, that looks hard. I'm gonna go ahead and go to the hard one because it looks sexy and fun. It, it's not about that. It's like, how can we create the bridge and the similarities of making them understand the transferability of that program to their job? That is the key there. And that's something that, you know, I've developed and, and really have continued growing on. And it's something that, I, you know, I feel that you have a really good grasp on as well. I mean, everything relies on the aerobic system. Um, no matter what anyone says, anaerobic, still aerobic. Everything relies on the aerobic system. And there's so many good people putting out good things um, involving like the aerobic system and its capability. I mean, Rob, Rob Wilson that uh, has Art of Breath and the Power, power Speed Endurance. Yep. Uh -huh. I, I'm pretty sure. He literally lives right around the corner. He was just in today. And the stuff that they're doing with breath control and just making your body more aware of its involvement with the aerobic system is huge. And it's such an advantage. I don't understand. It's like people that it doesn't look cool. So obviously that's, that's number one. So it's out of here. It's not cool. So <laughs> but it's such an advantage for people. But I, I will say the best thing I've ever heard, I was at the, uh, the pro hockey conference, um, or a month or so ago. And there was a, a guy there. It's the first time I've ever met him, doc Hickey. And he works, he explained energy system development as a traffic light. And he said, we spend too much time in the yellow. And he was like, it's either green or it's red. And he was like, yellow is too fast for green. So you're not reaping the benefits of being in that low aerobic threshold. And then yellow is too low to get anything anaerobically from the red system. And he was like, and then he kind of went on it and I kind of just zoned out because I was like, Oh my God, this is the most brilliant thing I've ever heard yeah. when it comes to this. It's so simple, but it's the reason a yellow light turns yellow. And I thought about this more because I actually was talking to a cop about this. It's, it's not to tell you to slow down. The yellow of a stoplight is to get out of the intersection. And the second he said, stay out of the yellow, I was like, that is brilliant. Like everyone trains in the yellow. Yeah. It's either in green where you can still breathe in and out through your nose or in through your nose, out through your mouth, or it's in the red when you're huffing and puffing. Everything in the middle is just kind of like you're doing too much for green or too little for red. And I was like, that is, to me, that was the easiest way for me to understand that, wow, that's the energy system. And then I was like, wow, that's a fucking life. Yeah. Everyone just chills in the yellow when it should be, you should either be green or you should be living it up. It, we just, and I was that was the second I heard that. And it was the purpose a yellow light exists on a traffic light is to get you out of the intersection. It's get out of here, get out of this. It's not to slow down. It's get out of it. Damn. It's funny, man. I, I truly enjoy energy system development and mapping the energy systems of the aerobic system to the anaerobic system and seeing how they work. And that is exactly the thing that, you know, I never used or heard the whole uh, green light, yellow light, it was first, red light. Yeah, it was the first, first time I've ever heard it too. And it was just like, wow. It, it makes so it makes complete sense, right? Like, it's like, we live in the red when we need to. Like, of course, we need to be in the red at times. And like, let's just be honest. Like, the red does promote growth and it does promote everything. But the green is where we actually make everything else happen. So when the red, it is time to go to the red, we're ready for it. Mm -hmm. The yellow, we can't do that. Like you mentioned, like the yellow, we can't do anything in there because we're always on the go. And 
I was reading a book right now. I'm reading a book called Quantum Speak, and it's about like quantum physics and the energy in the universe. It's super hippie-ish. Oh, what is that called? It's called Quantum Speak. Okay. And, I'm all into everything, universe. Oh, perfect. And it's probably the reason why we blend really well right now. <laughs> we blend really well together. But it talks about that. It's like it goes into talking about the idea of being able just to slow down and just be able to be at this constant just growing and understanding that the quantum aspect of physics and energy is always there and we have the control of what kind of energy we want to bring into our life we want to bring into training and this is me making my connections with with training now it's like whoa that's actually true like everything we say is get gets put out into the universe mm -hmm. you, you know it's like you want to go ahead and get into a better job. Well, you put that into the universe and you keep working towards it. Guess what happens? If you flip-flop that and be like, I hate my job. I hate where I'm at. I'm going to get fired. Guess what happens? You get fired. So it's, it's, it's as simple as that. We have control of all these things. Why are we not understanding that when it comes to training the athlete, right? Because well, you said it too, like your professional athletes. And I love that you said that was the whole idea behind getting the athlete ready for the season so that they can be the best athlete possible in their season, that's the goal. And something that I really like to tell like my tactical athletes, especially with soft fleet stuff, is this idea of, hey, look, when we get into selection, that's only the first phase of your career. Yes, you went through boot camp, that was nothing crazy, and it might be hard for you, and if it is, great, it woke you up and lets you know like what's about to come. But once you're yep. done with selection, you have another chapter in that life to now focus on because you're no longer a selection. You're not longer going through selection. Now you have to operate and now it becomes life or death. Right. And the same thing with with the whole green and, and red. Right. I look at life as green. I look at red as death now. That's that's it. Right. And then to continue yeah. being an opera to be operational and to keep you healthy in this game of, of of life and war and just being a tactical athlete you need to live in the green you know and i really enjoy that whole approach because i i'm a very artistic person i, I grew up with i grew up with a, a with a family in art i played instruments painted did all those things and that's how i i look at my, my my programming the way i coach it's a very art filled type thing and rob wilson and, and, and has been a really big foundation in terms of understanding breathing he was a big part of, of that switch, right? And they do a great job of understanding. It's like, hey, like you need to create shift in the mindset through oxygen. As simple as that, and it's like, well, if we can create shift with oxygen in the brain, why are we not using oxygen to go ahead and propel us to be that much more better as an athlete or at our job or life, right? That's, that's yeah. the end state, I feel like, you yeah. know? I mean, that's... I mean, that's, that's what it, that's what it comes down to. I mean, it's, I, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's keep this going because like I said, I know we have a lot of stuff here and, you know, with the athletes you do train at, you know, Virginia high performance and, and in what you do, you know, what is your, your, your sessions look like with these guys coming in? Like, you know, are there assessments that you do? You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure there is obviously you, you we're on the same path here, but the assessments that you look at, especially for a tactical athlete versus a, a, a youth athlete or a college athlete or a pro athlete, there's, there's multiple different ones. Cause we keep talking about that. And I think that's something that, you know, we want to talk about misconceptions. Let's go ahead and show and talk about that. I think is a really strong point there. Okay. Um, I think. I'm not even sure where to start with that. But, uh, <laughs> Sorry, it was a very I, broad question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number one, num I mean, number one thing for for the guys that I work with is is durability. It's uh, 
you know, they, they, before I optimize anything, I need to try to make them move as well as possible. Um, they are all overly sympathetic guys. They're, they're read it out. No different than you said. And the problem is they don't know how to get back down to green. Um, and that's a, that's a big problem when it comes to the nervous system, when it comes to their family life, when it comes to just them as, as human beings and biological organisms. If you can't come down or you can't control coming down, that's a big problem. It's a, you know, everyone revs up. You should rev up. You should be in the red like every now and then. And, and when they perform their job, they are going to be a red because, and then unless they're some people get in that flow state and they they don't get there, but getting to that red spot, is not bad. It's just that when you sit there too long. So the guys that I, that I work with and that we work with are heavily in the tactical population is giving them outlets and teaching them about being in the reds fine, but how do we get back down to the green? So giving them outlets, showing them move, teaching them about breathing, controlling their body. When you do get ramped up, bringing it down as fast as possible, giving you ownership of of what you got going on in your body. Um, when it comes to movement assessments, we don't do anything, I guess, uh, like standardized besides a couple different movements that I think are pretty prevalent, whether it's like a, uh, global movements is like single leg RDL split squat type stuff, getting the hips moving unilaterally, um, checking, uh, movement of the scapula, thoracic rotation, stuff like that, that, that we kind of look at that are kind of heavy hitters for the guys that we work with and their common injuries. But, um, when it comes to the problems that they have, it's, of course, if you take a fall, um, it's going to be multiple things. So I was working with a, an X games guy I had a while ago and he brought up the point of, he said how many concussions he had besides the fact the guys that we deal with, I mean, we're talking multiple, multiple, multiple concussions, TBI. And just from the blast over pressures, they're like real, real yeah. concussions because the, brain, the brain's reverberating in there. It's not like a one contact hit. So now you start messing with that and that messes with the brain. Now everything now is up for debate of what's going on because, because we don't really know that we yeah. don't know what's going on with the brain as much as we think. And, I, he, the, my, my X games guy one time said, he told me how many c concussions he had. And I was like, Holy shit. How, <laughs> how? And he was like, well, that's not even the problem. And I was like, how is that not the problem? And he was like, well, when a football player gets a concussion, that's it. When I get a concussion, I took a really big fall. So I did something else as well. And I was like, wow. Never so these guys I'm working with, when they take these big falls, there are a lot of problems. They just pick out the biggest one. Um, when then the body just kind of compensates and goes off of its own way and reorganizes as safe and as efficient as possible. So when it comes to evaluating them, it's just trying to see what their asymmetries are because we are human beings, creative biological tissues. We are asymmetrical creatures and kind of, I always play around with these people and they talk about youth kids and how we shouldn't make them be early specialized. And that's the worst thing you can do. And I'm like, well, what age did you make your kid choose the right with the right hand? because that's early specialization. <laughs> well, that's different. No, it's not. No, no, it's not. Fuck. My son can write with both hands and his teacher said, Hey, you got to pick so you can get better at one. Why not let him have shitty handwriting for two years. I don't care. Like why, why does he have to choose? But, but at the same time, it's like, Whoa, if you make him play football, that's early special. 
okay, well then where are we cutting the hairs at? But that, that was off topic. So. No, no, I like that. No, that's perfect, dude. That's awesome. <laughs> but, but we are asymmetrical creatures and that's not a bad thing. No. And that's getting that across to the guys because they shoot for hours on day. And, uh, so, you know, if they're right-handed, that left foot is always in the front when they're shooting. Every time they grab a door handle, the left foot is always in the front. Every time they shoot, every time they get stationary, every time they do something dominant, fighting position, whatnot, if they're right-handed, unless they're goofy foot, that left foot is going to be in the front. So you're probably going to have an asymmetry. And as a coach that's been, you know, when you go to college or whatnot, you're instantly told, oh, that's wrong. Everything should be symmetrical. They must have a soft tissue problem. Well, well if you look at the underlying factors, what if they don't have a soft tissue problem? What if they actually have a bone block? Or what if they have an artificial hip that doesn't do something? Now things get very array and just kind of off the path. And when it comes to tactical guys, I love it because this profession is booming. Like if, if people are not aware, this, this profession of tactical strength and conditioning with what's going on with the Army and what's going on with the Navy is blowing up. up. And if and if people appreciate job security and working good hours and making good money, they're going to jump on board with it. And and I I don't see why coaches more wouldn't jump at that because these guys will do they'll, they'll do just about anything you say if they find you as a real guy that's trustworthy and and then wants to help them. And when it comes to watching them move, it's maybe in a global aspect, it's not the best because I don't have something standardized be like, Hey, so Vernon, um, what are we going to, you know, how are you going to test this person? I, I don't know. I'm going to have them come in. I'm going to have them jog around. I'm going to check a couple things. I'm going to get them moving. And then we're going to start doing movements. I'm going to have them do split squats. I'm going to do regular squats. I'm going to do pull-ups. I'm going to do push-ups, And I'm just going to watch what happens. If you're trying to assess a kid's baseball swing, you don't go or tell them, teach them how to swing. You don't go, all right, here we, here's how it goes, Johnny. I want you to grab this bat and you're going to swing it like this. No, you're going to be like, hey, swing the bat a couple times. Take a second. Swing it a couple more times. All right, how can we make this safer? And then how can we make this more optimized? And that's when, when the guys – so I also have a little bit of laxity because we do have one-on-one guys. So I do have a lot more time with them. So I'm going to preface it with that. If you're in the tactical population, you're dealing with a group of, I've heard stories of people working in the fleet. They work with like 50 guys at once. Okay. That's a little bit different. You ain't going to fix nothing with a group of 50 people. I, I, I understand that. And if you're listening to this, I I'm trying not, I'm not coming on a high horse. I swear. I'm just telling you what I, what I get to deal with, but, um, it's, it's seeing how they move. And I'm, I, I look at the bodies like, like you just said, artistic. I'm a very, like, I'm a weirdo, man. I like art. I like music. I'm a very artistic. I think the body is poetry and motion. I get, I get very fascinated with movement and how we compensate. And to me, it's just fascinating to watch organism move, but then watch, even though we're completely different, if we work in the same environment have the same job and maybe we don't have a traumatic injury the the correlation between our compensation patterns is amazing. Um, when guys come in here that have um, most guys we work with, most of them have lower back problems. They have thoracic spine that doesn't move properly because they're wearing kit and the oh, kit's 
pretty heavy and it's weighing them over. Um, they have nods from their, for their helmet, the guys, especially the guys on boats and they're just banging up and down. So they probably have a forward head posture, um, probably something going on in the cervical spine. Um, when I see guys that were doing like, uh, like sprinting is the thing nowadays. Like everyone wants to sprint training have a guy run with kid on. He ain't sprinting with sprint mechanics. Nope. He's going to run like he's fucking Chris Farley. Like it, it's it. And it's how they all run. So me teaching them to run this way Doesn't is work. not, well, it makes them good in training and for energy system stuff and efficient. Sure. But I should address the fact that that's not how they're going to be on the battlefield. So it's, it's not tack. It's not being cute about it and making it, Oh, this will now I'm going to make them real tack. I'm going to make them wear their gas mask. No, that's stupid. But it's, it's understanding that, Hey, you know, if, if a quarterback never throws his shoulder pads on and then you put him in the game with shoulder pads on his techniques, probably going to change. Mm-hmm. So he has to throw with shoulder pads on. There should be some sort of involvement. Um, most of the guys come in here with a uh, big, big toe or some sort of toe dysfunction because they wear combat boots, combat boots, boots don't bend. Um, they cinch down the laces, their ankles don't bend because of that, because they're so restricted. And now they're carrying however much kit and body armor and load. So that spine is just taking a beat and taking a beat. So their lower backs messed up. There's SI dysfunction. And then they're talking about, Oh, well, my hips don't move well, this and that. Well, no shit because the SI joint, the lower the lumbar spine is, has had to take over for stability because your hips are also trying to provide stability because the load that you're applying into it. Yeah, dude, it, I'm, I'm going to, that's, I'm going to go ahead and backtrack a little bit because when we asked about, when I asked about the whole assessment aspect, and I really love the fact that you're like, I really don't have a, a, a specific assessment due to the fact that every individual is different. But what you did harp on though, is like, Hey, what are some of the injuries you have and how do you perform your job and how do you feel? Right. Cause then from there and then taking the athlete from the red and really understanding how to get them into the green, because that's the goal, right? Like again, our war fighters or our tactical athletes need to perform in the red multiple times throughout the year because of the fact of their job. But at the same time that we need to get them back down to, to decompress and live in that parasympathetic state to be able to now give them that longevity and durability of what sleep is actually like, what is their nutrition like, what is their energy levels like when they are home, right? To have that support system to provide them to go ahead and continue doing those things. And the one thing that I really enjoy is that you don't look at the, 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 the huge picture, right? And I like to use this saying, I got it from Joel Jameson, is micro movement dictates macro movement. So the smallest movement there is gonna go ahead and affect our macro movement. So you, like you said, an ath- you know, a tactical athlete who is not able to get flexion or you know, or extension in their big toe because of the boots, now hinders the ankle and now the ankle can't bend or do anything else. Now we have compensation up in the, in the T-spine where the spine where it takes the load the whole time, right? Like, yeah, and, it's, it, and that's understanding the black and white, but always going back trying to find, I don't want to say chasing the start point, but if, if, if a hip's not doing the right thing and they're having a lot of problem and you do all the hip stuff in the world, like I, I have put out a lot of hip stuff yeah. and I, I love the hips and they're in a benefit on the body. But if you don't do nothing for the feet and uh-huh. the ankles, you're never fixing the problem. You're just putting a bandaid on it. You're modern medicine, the human body. Yeah. You're just, just covering things up, but it's, it's finding the trying to find the start point. So that's why we always start with the feet, the yep. big toe and the ankles. If the big toe and the ankles do the, 
the right thing in relation to how their body works, the, their biomechanics, then I can have a good starting platform moving upwards to the body. Yep. But it's it's the quick fix that everyone looks for. And um, what was I going to say? Shit. <laughs> I, I'm going to let you think on that, bud, because one thing that I like to, to use in the tactical athlete also, brother, is the fact that you know, our foundation is our feet. Mm -hmm. That is our foundation. We stand on our feet 24 seven if we're doing something. And the tactical athlete is in their, on their feet all the time. It is what bears the full load of a full combat kit and a hundred pound ruck when you're moving for, you know, five, six clicks on a deployment or whatever else. And understand, we need to pay attention to that a lot more. And I remember, I, I always say this, like I have a really close PT friend, her name is Tracy, and she's she's really helped me identify and understand the foundation of movement. Um, and, and one thing that we talked about a lot was like, a lot of the PT and a lot of people and coaches go and look at the hips. Like, hey, having, you know, dysfunctional hips is the problem to everything. And it's like, well, you know, like that's not a wrong answer. Let's not, let's be honest. Like that's not a wrong answer, but the smaller aspect of that, well, what are they, what are people walking on 24 seven, what do they stand on? What do they do? Well, why are we not paying attention to their feet, right? Like, and that's the problem is with feet being inside a boot, our foot becomes very small and that surface to maintain and hold us up is very small now, which is gonna cause problems. The bigger surface area I can create with my feet means I can handle more load and I can handle more stress. So why are we not focusing on developing a very strong foot and strong base? Again, we look at the Eiffel Tower, let's be honest, the Eiffel Tower's base is not very small. And if it was, where would it go? It'd go left to right and fall over, but it's very strong. Yeah. So it's the same idea with looking at the individual. When we talk about micro movement dictates macro movement, the foot is something that's huge. And I'm glad that we're talking about this because this is something I've talked about in the past. Um, but it seems like it's still always over missed, right? It's like, well, why are you having problems in your knees and your hips? Well, let's go look at the feet. That is huge. I, I think, I mean, it's not flashy and it's, it's not, it's not cool. Um, and for the most part, the guys that I work with, the second I tell them to take their shoes off, they're like, what the fuck? Like, why? Like, I don't need to take my shoes off. And they don't, they don't care. Some of the dude's toes, I'm like, holy crap. How do you have a wife? Those things are hideous. But, uh, <laughs> but it, it's, it's so, it doesn't take up any time. Like I don't under, like, and that's the biggest thing I try to get across to other coaches when they see videos of like doing foot focused or ankle focused movements. And they're like, well, when do I do it? in your rest periods. Like, what, what do you mean when, when you do it? So instead of standing there and bullshitting with them about their Saturday evening plans, have them do ankle mobility and foot dorsiflexion focused movements. You can still talk to them while they do it, but now they're staying active. And to me, that's the, that's the bread and the butter because people confuse um, movement with success what, what, for, for good or for bad. For some reason. The second, I have, the second I have someone doing more, they're like, Oh, this is such great. I'm not stopping. You, you definitely stop. Your rest periods are just foot stuff, ankle stuff, hip stuff for an upper body day or a full body day. You can do foot and ankle stuff as rest periods. When you walk in, when you're brushing your teeth, some of my guys have tennis balls and they roll their feet while they're brushing their teeth. It, it's just, Finding the time to do it that doesn't take up time. Yeah. Like I, I get it. No, people don't have time, but there's a difference between not having time and not caring. Yeah. You, you can care and make 
better use of your time. I understand time is a valuable resource, but you can always be better at your time. And the foot and the ankle, it's it's understanding the importance of it, which I think it's gaining a lot more traction, yeah. but it's just, it's just been overlooked for so long. Like I have guys that come in here and they'll talk to me about like frostbitten toes and this and that. And you know, they wore a same pair of socks on an op and shoes for, for weeks. And they're just like, it's just, it was just never thought about. Like we just didn't care. We just don't think about it. And I get it. It's the nature of the beast. It's the guys. It's just how it works. I was talking to some hockey coaches and it's the same way that foot's in the boot. And it just, it's, it's not a thought. It's yeah. the foot goes in the boot and then we work. And it's, it's more than just, uh, like it, it, it's more than just internal trends in, in intrinsic muscles of the foot and, and dragging a towel. Like I see people do stuff like that. It's not doing anything. Um, but I was with, uh, I was out in Arizona with, with some coaches and uh, buddy Morris was talking and he said, he said, you know, there's 27 foots, 27 bones in the, in the foot. foot. And then I think there's like 33 joints in the foot. So that's a fourth of the bones in your body are within four inches of the ground. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Like, I mean, I do understand, but cause we cover them up and you know, so much, but the, that's the first thing I do when it comes to evaluation, let's kick the shoes off. Let's see what the body does. And then look at their shoes. That is one of the easiest things a coach can do is look at the shoes because more than likely their training shoes are either an old pair of shoes that they've had forever, or they've had that are now their grass cutting shoes and everything else, or they have a specific training pair of shoes that they wear every single time they train. So look at the insole of their shoe. Look how their shoe wears. That tells you so much. And it's just instant knowledge that you just get so quickly. It's like, oh man, look, look how his shoe wears. Look at this. It doesn't mean anything's wrong. It just gives me ammo. And now when I watch them run, I'm looking at things like, okay, that makes sense. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, if you're not asking people if they wear orthopedic insoles, like, why would you not ask that? That's such an easy question. And it gives you good, it gives you just ammo to how to layer this person. And I'm... I try to not categorize someone, but figure someone out as quick as possible. And if you can figure just asking questions and paying attention to cues, how they walk, what's their gait look like, it's, it gives you a lot of clues on what's going on. Yeah, dude, it, it's great you bring this up because that's something that I've really been pushing here with Softly and the Athletes is this whole idea of understanding like... What's great about this is go ahead and take a look at your shoes, right? Because that gives you your the realistic situation of how you really move every single day, right? The gym is just this artificial setting environment that we can recreate and help repattern the way you move so that when it is time to be in the red and you're not thinking about the way you move and you're put into real life situations, you're able to have that durability to be successful and to create that optimization that you need to perform your job. You're not training weightlifters. You're training operators that can use weightlifting to make them a better operator. And that's, that's the same thing with athletes. You're not training weightlifters. You're training athletes. You're, the weight room should be used as something to create durability, to create health, to create mobility, to give them confidence and old injuries that they can push past something that they're healthy now, whatever your, whatever your aspect of using the weight room as it is a tool to make them better at 
this. And that's being an operator is a very high level skill. And the weight room is to make them a better of that, to help them do that longer. And that's what I think it should be used as. No, a hundred percent. Dude. And I think that's something that a lot of, uh, a lot of coaches just miss, right? One thing I used to, when I used to own my gym out here and when I came to full, full time with softly, we used to do a lot of movement pattern work before going into our sessions. And, and, and the reason for that is because it's kind of, I connected this, this connection today while I was reading my book. Um, it is when we wake up in the morning, we don't just get up and go straight. We, most people do get up and go straight to the, go straight into the red, right? They, they work themselves in the red and they live there all day. And all of a sudden they go to sleep and they're in the red. When we go and train, we have this understanding of we need to warm the system up. We need to prime the system on how to move. And then we go ahead and jump into the red. And then once we're in the red of, of, of moving, we primed ourselves already, get into the red. And now it's time to get out of the red. Why are we not approaching this in life, right? Like, hey, wake up in the morning, real slow, methodical morning routine that we have and getting going. And then now we enjoy and get after life and whatever's presented to us. And then from there, we start down-regulating everything. It's a lot of how we look at how life is when, when we're going into the gym and training. And one thing that I really enjoyed a lot about that was the fact that we are able to now get the athlete to move in the right way. We are now developing longevity and durability and sustainability. And we were providing the opportunity to optimize them for long-term in their job or their life. And that's something that I feel like, again, we've been hitting it on the head like crazy. Like that's just it, right? And we're preparing the athlete, not for the gym, but for life. And I think that's the mark that's missed right there. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And then um, what I think I'll add to that is what, like the, like the concept of, um, like functionally making them a better operator. And what does that mean? Yeah. And I think that's a big thing, but it's changing now because there are experienced, educated people that are getting into this field, understanding that they're trying the good, well-intentioned people that are really trying to help, uh, these tactical athletes. Um, and help just for, you know, it, it feels good to help someone that it's life or death. It's different than wins and losses. And we're, it, it's still kind of relevant when I have people come in and they're like, I want to learn about tactical training, or we even host tactical strength and conditioning courses here for the NSCA. And they come in with this thought and this conception of us being like, Oh, we're just going to drag tires and we're going to throw sleds or we're going to throw sandbags and we're going to throw this. And, I, and I'm just like, no, optimizing the human body is that's strength and conditioning. That's stuff that we know. Like they are, there's a reason that people call them tactical athletes. Just because they do it with a gun and not a football does not mean that they're not an athlete. And it's, it's training them as such. Like just because they're going to get physically beat the crap out of them, that doesn't mean that you get to physically beat the crap out of them. <laughs> And, and it's gonna, and it's gonna, it's gonna help them. I have some guys that like with all my guys, I try to get them to a point that we're doing like agility work and change of direction and even acceleration type stuff. And I always get a weird look like, well, why are we doing this? I'm not running routes. I'm not doing this. I'm like, how do you sweep a house? It is change of direction. It is agility. It is being able to absorb and redirect the body and the center of gravity and being able to be aware and controlled. But at the same time, you're controlling your body weight. The second you are on an op, you're going to be now carrying knots, 
body kit, kit, weight. I mean, I don't, I don't understand all the terms and, yeah, and yeah, weapons yeah. and all this stuff. So now the center of gravity shift is even greater. So if you can't control it in a controlled environment, there's no way you're going to be able to control it in an uncontrolled, at least for a limited time. And then injuries happen. So it's addressing that even though it's a tactical athlete, that they are still an athlete first and foremost, the tactical is the skill set that they have that makes them special. And it's training them like a human, making them move better, making them stronger, making them more durable. And maybe you focus on more of load carriage type stuff or, you know, there's different movements that maybe you're more focused on yeah. because you know what the knob entails, but it's still preparing them as an, as a decathlon, a decathlete almost yeah. like they do everything. Yeah. They're the jack of all trades. It's not just, Oh, I'm going to grab a sled and grab some sandbags. I'm a farmer's carry them. I'm going to jump up and do burpees and pull-ups. Okay. That might be a good workout one day, but the goal that I look at it is, is I'm not trying to give you a good workout. That, that's not my job. My job is to give you longevity with something that you're really good at. And how I do that is strength and conditioning principles and looking at them as the athlete that they are, not the skill that they have. Yeah, I like the fact that you did talk a lot about the seminar aspect and when we do have coaches come into that and the idea of like, I'm here to learn how to just break the athlete down because I took, I got to, I had a I, super great opportunity. I got to take my course with Dr. Brent Al, uh, Alvar, who wrote the paperwork, who wrote the course, um, you know, and rewrote that stuff. And a lot of the, a lot of the coaches that did come into there, we're, we're in that same mindset of like, Hey, how do we break the athlete down to rebuild them back up? And Dr. Alvar was like, no, the priority is to optimize the individual so they can perform their job. And that is it. And when he said it that way, I was like, <laughs> I can, you don't, you can keep teaching me, but that exactly is going to be the mainstay of what we need to look at, right? Is because that's it. And you, you nailed it on the head properly, right? Like we talk about change of direction, agility, plyometrics, all those things need to be implemented into a tactical athlete due to the fact of the stressors of their job. For example, in Afghanistan 2010, I had to jump over multiple fucking walls, right? Or I had to go ahead and move through or do these things or I had to jump over a canal, well, guess what plyometric does for plyometrics does for the athlete with heavy load on themselves? It does strengthen the tendons. It does teach you how to be powerful, to be reactive. Agility work, right? Doing agility work teaches you to go ahead and focus on moving to an unknown stimulus. We know that. Guess what a tactical athlete does most of the time when they're in a gunfight or they have to patrol? They have to react to unknown stimulus at all times. Well, guess how change of direction does create that bridge? Like, again, those are the things that we need to be focusing on when it looks at training the tactical athlete, right? We've, we've known on the head, we've talked about the aerobic system, energy system development. We're talking about, you know, the full, the, the, the idea of that. Now it's kind of like, well, when we look at strength training, is it, is it, is it really something that we need to be focused on? Cause we get this misconception also, we just need to go to the gym and lift as heavy as possible. And hopefully we get stronger mm. and, and, and that's wrong. It's like, no, how about when we are actually focusing on doing a back squat, a deadlift, or single leg unilateral type work? Let's go ahead and create the connection now so that we are able to 
deliver that transferability into your job. And once we can educate the athlete in that, that is when I believe that they can actually now pick between the two programs that you mentioned, the high intensity program or the program that looks boring that has plyometric change of direction work in there, does have some kind of unilateral or however else, because now we're focusing on developing movement variability. So when they do provide and off and, and perform their job at a hundred miles an hour, clearing the house, things just click things just click and and that's true right the whole idea of doing the ankle stretches and the footwork between your set between your sets is amazing and and why is that well it's because we are training in a low stress environment to where now our prefrontal cortex is open to learn how to rewire our brain our brain is very very adaptable and a lot of people don't realize this it's very adaptable and if i can reteach the athlete how to move in a low stress environment the correct way that aids and optimization when they do their job, I'm doing my job right there. And then if that means that they do a back squat and we go tell them to work on ankle work or we tell them to focus on hip work or whatever else, we're only aiding in the longevity for their job at the end of the day. And that's what matters, right? Like, but we get tactical athletes and we get coaches who are like, I want to make this guy as strong as fucking possible so he can perform his job. When let's be honest, I've come from being an instructor at the schoolhouse at basic reconnaissance course for four years. And I'll tell you the guys that came in the strongest and lived that collegiate lifestyle were the worst guys in the schoolhouse were the worst. And like you said it, right? Like, Hey guys have come in with a broken back, broken homes have performed the best. Yes. And no, I've also seen the guys who come in who are mediocre in, everything across the board and just are able to perform 24 seven. That is the guy that I would rather take onto a team. Why not train and focus on hitting all of them? And I like to say, I call the tactical athlete a multifaceted athlete. That's all they are. Yeah. That's all it is. That's, that's, that's all it is. Yeah. I, I got in, uh, I, I want, of course, I'm not trying to be rude or anything, no. but I had a coach, I've had a coach one time reach out to me and he wanted to, he was like, because now it's, it's blowing up. It, the tactical space is becoming very popular because now there are a lot of jobs that are popping up and they make good money and time works. And it, 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 as it should be, we should be taking care of these guys. And I had a guy reach out to me and he goes, hey, Vernon, I, I kind of heard what you do and um, I really want to be in the tactical space. And I asked him and I was like, why? Like, why, why do you want to be in the tactical space? And he kind of couldn't give me an answer and then he gave me the old well, I just want to do something bigger than myself. And I was like, then why don't you join the military? And he was like, and I was like, if, if that's the true bigger than yourself, everyone wants to walk around wearing camo shirts and selling shit that never actually joined the military and you want to talk about it, then do it. Like if you, if you really want to do it, then do it. But so then it's, why do you want to be in the tactical space? And I kept asking questions because I knew what my answer was. And I kept just, just adding layers to this questioning, adding layers. And basically what it got down to is he associated being in a tactical space with, with being an e easier coaching job because there's, there's less things that needed to be done because, oh, I just give them a hard workout and that's what those guys want. And we just do a bunch of hard stuff and I don't have to worry about like the divas. I don't have to worry about all this other stuff. I'm like, I don't have to worry about chain training this way, training that way. I just kind of give them a really hard workout. And, and then we just kind of bro out and things are great. And I was like, this is the problem with the tactical space. Tactical does not mean easier than college. Just because you're not dealing with a million dollar contract does not, you're dealing with a fucking life uh -huh. and, and training should be just as important as that. So as this tactical space is growing, 
if anything I can do to other coaches is I want to empower other coaches that are also experienced and educated in whatever facet that is, that we want real coaches that are really understanding the body in this and not just some coach that has an American flag tattoo that, you know, that they wants to post about patriotic stuff on Facebook and they just want to beat the hell out of people in the tactical space. That is not what it's about. It is, a, it, is a, it is truly understanding the body and understanding that tactical is just their skill set. It'd be no different than me saying wide receiver athlete. Uh, he's an athlete that <laughs> yeah. plays wide receiver. He is an athlete that, is tact- that has a tactical skill set. And that is the biggest thing I try to put across is tactical does not mean your job's easier as a coach. It does not mean that the, that the end game is easier because you're not worried about them. Oh, if they get hurt, then... I'm not getting fired type thing. It's, it is a, it is a lot more than that. And we need coaches in the field that understand the, the depth associated with that. It's more than just working out. It's like you said, it's a decathlete mentality, a multifaceted athlete that prepares them to allow them to do their skill. Yeah, dude, it's, it's funny you bring this up. Cause I, one, I, I have this thing and I need to get rid of it, but I feel that like a lot of coaches who want to train the tactical athlete don't have the contextual intelligence to train the tactical athlete. You ex- and, and, and I think you just nailed it on the head with individuals asking to do that. And it's like, well, if you want to train the tactical athlete, go live that lifestyle first. Go live it. So you understand and notice that, hey, there's, there's a lot of, lot of type A personalities in the military. And I'm going to say this, and this is coming from being in the tactical athlete world to coaching the tactical athlete world and living it is it is probably harder to train and coach a tactical athlete than it is to coach a, coll- a collegiate athlete, a youth athlete, or anything across the board. Because now we are focusing on life and our death and understand that it is deeper than that. We now have to make sure that, oh, they have a family, they have kids, they're getting ready to go on deployment to a place where they're not sure they're coming back. And I, it's my job as their coach, as their strength conditioning coach, to make sure they're ready for that because now it's no longer just about me. It's about their family. It's about the people that's around them. And it's about how can I make sure they come back so they can handle all those things in the most, not easiest way, but the most elegant and, and methodical way possible so that they continue living this job, right? Yeah. And, and, and as I said that, I, I, I meant that as specifically to that kid. You do, I, I 100% agree I believe that you do not have to be in the military or come from a military background to understand what's going on. The coaches I have here at VHP, fucking phenomenal yeah. coaches. They were never in the military, but they're also understand that, Oh, this isn't, I don't know the latest, greatest workout show on Netflix where I'm just trying to beat the hell out of someone. And they just happen to be in the military. It's developing an athlete. It's understanding the mindset of someone that's, that's coming from that realm where it's a lot different for one, they're going to see past bullshit real quick Mm -hmm. where athletes will kind of be fogged by what you've accomplished and who you work with. They don't care about any of that stuff. They don't care about anything I post on social media. If they have a social media, it's a fake social media of which I post something and they just give me shit about it because I look terrible. (laughs) They're they're not impressed by any of that. They don't, they don't care. They don't want to, they want, they want to know that you're invested in them Mm -hmm. and you're not, you're not going to post videos. It's just, it's different. Um, and, uh, it's getting that point across and, and you don't have to have walked that line 
Um, it definitely helps though. You know, you, 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 you just changed the way I think about that because it, this is the new approach that I'm going to look at is like, you have taught those coaches, the understanding of training the tactical athlete is what it is. You've created the environment of that contextual intelligence and understanding and learning to be able to have coaches like that. And I have to, you know, and I, Thank you for doing that because it did open my mind because it, it it was something that really got me upset over time and I wasted energy on was the fact of like coaches who are doing this and train the tactical athlete need to have an understanding of it. And my preface was going back and saying, oh, maybe you need to serve in the military. No, how about you surround yourself as a coach to do that? And, and luckily I have helped develop and mentor a few coaches who understand that. And like you said, yeah. my goal isn't to continue programming for the rest of my fucking life. I'll tell you that right now. I have things mm -hmm. I wanna do with my family. There's things I wanna do, there's other ideas but I wanna educate the individuals who wanna learn how to take care of athletes to promote what we're talking about, longevity, durability, and sustainability. And the key word here I like is transferability as well. I just wanna teach yep. that so that when I step away, we know, and when you step away, we know we've developed and put effort and we put invested into those individuals so they can now grow and teach that to everyone else. And I, I think the one of the biggest things that we haven't mentioned yet, and as and this kind of goes off with any job is with these guys. Eventually, that uniform's gone. Yeah, and so it's understanding that you're not tr you're training. It, it always goes back to no matter who your client is, no matter what job you're at, no matter the high school, middle school, NFL. You're training the human first. Yep. As a strength and conditioning coach, you're training the human first. So what is that? Strength and conditioning, mobility energy system development, whatever plyometrics, whatever you want to throw out, but it is the human first. It is human movement first, movement efficiency, and then improving that. And then the skill set that's, that's past that Later because these guys, yeah, because no different than in sports, eventually they're gonna have to take this Jersey off and they're not gonna be able to ever put it on again. And unfortunately with the military, the second you put that take that uniform off, you don't even fucking matter anymore. Yep. So in sports, you can kind of go back and, oh yeah, I went to college here. No, in the military, you're done. The second you take it off, you are done. And it's, it's teaching them the, about their bodies and as humans, because I want them to be healthy after they yeah. get out of the military, teach them healthy habits that they can pass on to their kids, that they can pass on to people that they mentor. It's, it's so much deeper than just, and just, I, yeah. I don't know, whatever. We can call it performance or whatever. And I, and I like that you went there, dude, because that is something that we do see a lot, right? I deal with that with a lot of individuals. A lot of people, and I'm very humbled and grateful for individuals to reach out who are transferring out of the military or transitioning out. And they're like, how did you do it? How did you do it? Like, that's the question. And the same thing, like, you know, I heard you talk about it with Brandon Lilly, Brandon Nasty, like, what did you do to yeah. make it happen? And <laughs> it's, it, it is not easy. But it's also being okay with learning that this also provides a, a opportunity and growth for you, right? And I look at not only do I look at movement and strength conditioning, but I also now tie the, the psychological aspect to it. Because if we can't focus on teaching the psychological point of it, then everything else behind that doesn't blend very well. And, and that's something that I've learned having to transition out of the military from being on multiple deployments and, and seeing some really crazy things to being an instructor at the schoolhouse to getting out and to having to fix myself, mm -hmm. right? And you too, I'm pretty sure you, with your transitions out and taking that jersey off, I like to say that's what my, my blouse was, my jersey. I took my jersey off and hung it up. 
I had to refine and redefine who I really was and understand that, hey, I'm not Sergeant Brionis, I'm just George Brionis. Same thing with you, you're Vernon Griffin. Like that's that's just what it is. And then from there we can create those 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 similarities. And I really enjoy the fact that we you you do put family first and life first and understand like if I don't have them by my side, I'm not who I really am and I can't do anything else without them. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of tactical athletes miss that. They they get so stuck in this this mode and this, I call it the the revolving circle of train, work up, workouts party, booze, deployment, come back, repeat. And that's, let's just be honest. Like I just literally said, what a, what a, what a legit workup training pro, like everything is. But then we take that away from them. They get fall back into that same routine outside of the military. And that's the problem. It's like, well, no, we need to reteach you how to live outside of it. And we have the chance of doing that in the strength conditioning world, in this artificial environment, in a low stress environment, in that allows us to teach that. What's your sleep like? What's your nutrition like? What is your stress management like? Um, you know, how are you training today? Hey, how was your training? What was your intensity like with life? What was your stress management like? What was stress like today? Because if you had, you know, if your stress outside of outside of the gym was 90% higher than normal, I'm not gonna come here and dose you with high intensity training session. I'm gonna focus now like, well, let's take advantage of this and let's focus on how to move properly and let's develop some ways to cope with whatever happened today inside the gym. So when you do feel this way and you come into the gym, instead of thinking of, let's just burn it down for the day and and, and just stack and add more to my stress a cup, my cup of stress, I've now just lowered it because I'm focusing on the small things. And again, I go back to looking at the foundation. We need to harp on the foundation no matter what and pull from the peak. We don't need to be hitting the peak all the time and pulling from the foundation. The foundation is our bread and butter and that's the green and that's where we need to be living at 24 seven. I, I, I agree, man. And, uh, it's, it with, you know, most of the guys we work with, it's, it's such a miss when, when guys don't like to use the weight room or it's considered something like a negative connotation or coaches don't, um, they don't, I guess, take the advantage that they're in because most of these guys we're working with that, that I get to work with, they are physical specimens uh-huh. for the most part. They like working out. They like working out and they're very obsessive about certain things in their life. So why not give them something to be obsessed about that's positive, like teach them about their body, teach them about movement and give them something positive to be obsessed about that they can focus and they can fine tune because that never goes away. No matter what their job is, they always have that. And I, I hope that with coaches, what they're doing is they're empowering people and not just making them reliable on them. Yeah. And, and I like the, the need versus want, right? We need to develop this idea of like providing the, that this is needed to be done to continue living life the way they need to, right? And providing that value for them. I mean, dude, we, we can sit here and talk for three, four hours, man, and, and just keep moving around and, and doing those things. And I know you got some stuff to do. And But man, I, I appreciate your time today on the podcast, dude. Like I said, I, and I'm pretty sure we're going to ask people to do another one, pretty sure, or whatever else. I always like to try and at least get two furs on here. Um, and we'll probably get a lot of information and questions off this. But yeah, dude, I, 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 I'm super grateful for an opportunity to listen to you speak, man. Like I said, if it's it's amazing like i said it's standing shoulder to shoulder with you and be able to have these conversations um it it makes me super happy inside dude so thank you so much for your time today um with that being said how can they reach you where can they find you and you know all that good stuff 
Uh, I mean, you can reach me on, I guess the easiest way would be like on Instagram or Twitter. I have the same handle, Vernon Griffith, the number four, uh, tag me, shoot me a message, whatever it is. You know, I'm always looking to help coaches out, especially if you're a tactical athlete personally and you're looking for advice or if I can help in any way I will, but, uh, yeah, reach out. Sick, man. Awesome. And if you guys have any questions or, uh, any questions, please feel free to email me George at softleet.com. Or if you want to catch me on Instagram at coach underscore GB three, I'm pretty open on those things to talk. So again, Vernon, thanks brother. Appreciate it. Looking forward to many more conversations with you. And I'm glad we made this connection and friendship for sure. Hey, me too, George. Thank you. Thanks brother. Later. Later.